All right, let's hope this works. I'm using my phone now. Dude, I'm telling you, bro, technology is not not meant for the aging like you and me. That's why we have problems every time, every time we connect. I mean, part of it, I knew I knew the troubleshooting, you know, but I, I, I tried to troubleshoot before I even like started. That's why it took me so long. And then sure enough, I had to change the settings in Zoom itself. But right now, it seems like my phone is way better, dude. Yeah, it does actually. And I think it's to be honest is that technology still has a lot of kinks to iron out because you know, it's we rely on technology, but it's 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 still a lot of the times it's shitty. You know, like how the fuck can you have internet that doesn't work? <laughs> you know, in, in a capital city, right? So, I don't know. I'm going to put the blame on those fuckers, not else. Um, but let's Well, let's you see. need you no, know, they it's it's you know, we live in a new world, uh environmentally conscious green new world and when it comes time to burn the books we don't want a shitload of smoke in the air so we're putting it all online <laughs> yeah and sorry that's some dark humor there i, I hope you <laughs> caught that yeah well i do um i'm just hoping that when they burn the books that the online connection works <laughs> well the point is is that all the books will be online and really they don't need to light a match they just pull a plug yeah yeah of course but um sorry yeah. darkness you know hey whatever you gotta no, man. throw something out fits nice into fahrenheit 451 it's probably where our society's going anyway um i still have not read that book and i need to get that book do you recommend it is it a good read yeah totally it's definitely a, it's a great read it's nice and simple and and it's 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 uh it's, it's got a nice didactic message which is basically don't burn the books so it won't make me want to do antidepressants, will it? Because <laughs> I've read enough, uh, enough uh, uh, dystopic uh, literature in the past, you know, I don't know, five months, six months. Well, I guess it depends if you have faith in humanity or not. If you believe that humanity is, is, has the capacity to go somewhere great, well, then no. But if you believe that we're kind of doomed, if that's your foundational philosophy and, you know, um, foundational belief then it's not going to be good for you so i guess you have to reassess that foundational philosophy before you start reading yes sir i hear you bro so how does it feel to be casting in the manana <laughs> yeah awesome actually man awesome um it's 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 definitely different it's totally different i've got these two days off from uh the school's given us what is it um how do you say it in English? Thanksgiving. That's it. Thanksgiving holiday, which is. Dia pretty... la gracias? Is Acción de Gracias. Oh, you're right. My Spanish yeah. sucks. It's been too long, buddy. Yeah, Acción de Gracias. Uh, so they give us two days for Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool because yesterday I got a whole heap of stuff done. Today, like, I get to talk to you, which is nice. And then we can chat for a bit. But it's like, yeah, man, it's, it's, I feel like there is a very limited supply of energy these days from the time of wake-ups to the time of, of sleep times. And um, I got to really be careful about how I burn that energy because once it's gone, there's at 8 PM, there's not a lot left to give. Yeah, no, I hear you, buddy. Um, I don't really, at this moment, I know you exercise a lot. You're in good health. You eat well. Um, so I can't, you know, to, I don't know about increasing uh, your energy, but uh, I know that kegels are good for many things. I don't know what kegels are. 
<laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no. Are you serious? Yeah, that's definitely an American thing, dude. No, actually, it's a German thing because the last name Kegel comes from Germany. Yeah, that does sound German. But no, we don't have uh, them in Australia. Kegels. What did you What did you get Kegels from? Dude, it, it's 8 p.m. my time. I've never podcasted at this hour. My brain is somewhere else. But Kegels are where you tighten your colon muscle over and over again. To uh... <laughs> I don't want to know how you know that. <laughs> Dude, everybody knows it except for Stephen Naguara. That's obviously, the only person I know. Obviously, we're missing out. <laughs> missing out on this whole colon experience by the Germans. Well, since we're talking about Kegels really quick, dude, you should think about it because it it, it helps prevent uh, all sorts of colon issues. And it also, here's here's the good news, the bonus. It's good for sexual longevity. And actually, it's good for both men and women. I bet you Killary knows about it. But if she doesn't, then I, it's just a Colombian thing because, I mean, yeah, maybe it's American. I don't know. Americans are weird. Uh, who knows? But enough about the kegels and the flexing of the ass muscle. Uh, how you been, buddy? Yeah, good, bro. Good. We're, we're in the, the middle of some serious teaching. Um, we're in the middle of some serious texts. Um, I'm actually teaching a unit of rhetoric, which is fun. Um, teaching rhetoric, and I'm actually getting the kids to read Animal Farm. So I got them to do that as their independent reading. And we're going to look at the dark sides of rhetoric. We look at rhetoric and advertising. We look at rhetoric and in, in speeches and manipulation. I've never taught rhetoric before. I haven't taught it before. So it's kind of, um, it's lots of new stuff for me. What else am I teaching? I'm teaching the, the comic- I don't I don't know what I don't know what rhetoric is. Is that like an Australian thing? <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'm um, going to be on a roll tonight, buddy. I'm going to be on a roll. That's all good. So that's that's a bit of fun. But yeah, man, it's it's my second year at this school, and things are things are flowing. I'm teaching three separate courses, which makes things hard. But I've heard of teachers actually teaching six courses at the same time, like six preps, which is insane. Um, but teaching three courses, it's fun. I'm enjoying it, um, but it's 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 challenging because I'm always reading something different. And we're doing um, another course. We're doing Greek myths. We're doing um, we're doing mythology. We're doing Circe. We're doing the the Odyssey. We're talking about Odysseus. That's pretty cool. But um, yeah, man, everything's good. Just trying to balance work, life, family, and gym. And I think um, and energy levels is a big one. And and uh, you know, you mentioned about mm, what can you do. Uh, and I think that you you've kind of summed it up nicely because you said you're doing A, B, C, and D, and E, all these right things. But have you ever noticed that if you kind of do too much or if you don't have a time to kind of just like wind down and breathe, and then your body kind of just is always on the go. So maybe what I need to do is, and maybe people need to do this, maybe the maybe that's the balance is, and maybe what works for people is to find that um, those soft motions like Tai Chi, meditation, um, sitting still, you know, drinking coffee without um, without a baby crying, all those kind of like soft, um, soft kind of skills or soft timeouts. Do you do, do you have time like that in your life where you have just time to kind of like chill or not really? I noticed you're in, uh, in Alaskan wilderness over there. So maybe that, that fits into your. Dude, it's, chaotic. it's very chaotic in uh, Bangkok. Uh, there's not a lot of green space. Um, and to get anywhere green, you have to go through a gauntlet of, monstrous vehicles that abide by no rules and 
most of the drivers are playing their cell phone while they're going too fast down narrow mm-hmm. roads. Um, and it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty hectic thing. Um, no, but I, I, I do, I agree with you. Like, so I feel like I'm always on the go. Um, speaking of that, dude, I just had like a crazy bout. I shouldn't say bout, but episode of, um, insomnia, dude, just, uh, Wednesday night, bro. I could not sleep. It's very weird. And I'm not sure the backstory to that. And we don't have to really get into that now, but, um, just stress in life. Just like, like, well, you got my message about how I feel overwhelmed with work and life and school and just so much going on. And dude, I, I literally could not sleep. And I actually had to call in sick for a day because I, I tried to go to bed around midnight. Then I could, I woke up, you know, I was just rolling around for like two hours. Then I woke up and put on some Netflix and I probably should have pulled out the Bible because that's almost guaranteed to put you asleep instantly. Um, (laughs) I mean, I love the Bible, you know that, but you know, that's some chunky raw, oh man, foiled stuff. And, um, so yeah, man. So, uh, no, but I need to do some sort of, um, I really do, man, uh, some sort of Tai Chi, some sort of regular routine of like meditation, you know, quieting the mind. Um, and I think that would help a lot. But for the sake of listeners and for your ignorant um, friend, John, can you r- explain rhetoric for me really quick? What is rhetoric? Sure. It's nice and simple. Rhetoric is the art of persuasion using language. And that's pretty much rhetoric. And then you have the, the rhetoric, the rhetorical situation where you have people or, or things connected to that. You know, and we're keeping it simple. It's just about, it's about the speaker. It's about the subject. It's about the purpose. And then we tie like ethos, logos, and and pathos into that. Um, and then it's kind of like, there is, but there's a lot more to it than that. And it's stuff that I won't be teaching this, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth you can really go into. You can go into logical fallacies, which is like mm-hmm. how people set up fake, well, just weak arguments that are based on false truths, basically manipulative. And if they say, oh, well, this telephone is red. And because this telephone is red, well, then that telephone has to be red. Well, obviously, right? So there's a whole bunch of logical fallacies. Um, Does it always have to be persuasive or can rhetor- rhetorical or r- rhetoric, can it just be discussion-based or is it always the intent of the speaker to convince the other in one way, shape or form. It's designed to convince. Yeah. To convince, okay. to, to persuade. Yeah. And that's, that's really why it's powerful because a lot of times you read something or you, you might be listening to a speech or an advertisement and really what's happening is, is an, an underlying argument, an argument of something is good or something is bad. Marilyn Manson once said it beautifully. He's like, there's advertising as always you tell, you know, the, the world telling you to buy shit that you don't need. So basically someone will fuck you or someone will, um, so you can get what you want or be accepted within society. He said that, I remember reading that once and it's, it's, there's always this underlying message and it's, it's, um, it's very clever the way it's inserted into into something. So yeah, it's it comes from obviously the Greeks. It comes from Aristotle. There's the Aristilian triangle of the speaker purpose and audience. Um, this connection between different parts of of the argument, but it's very powerful because if you if you understand rhetoric, you realize that everything, uh, well, well, lots of things have messages, and people are trying to convince you of something and persuade you using different techniques. And uh, it's great to pick that apart and sort of 
look at um, what the purpose is. And I'll tell you this one little quick story. So I was looking for a rhetoric kind of paragraph, something, something light. I couldn't find anything that was really tailored to my students. So I wrote a paragraph about me, about me and about um, following your passions and your dreams and about um, my transition from a different, from my ideology, from being told that money is the most important thing. And that's what you have to aim for into understanding or, or, or tra- evolving into money is not the most important thing. It's experiences. And that was my ideological change. And I wrote like a paragraph um, explaining that I was, I was born from immigrant parents. This is what I was told. And this is what happened to me. And, um, and then I got the kids to basically do a little quiz with that paragraph with the skills that I taught. And then we spoke about, oh, who's the speaker? Who's the purpose? Who's the audience? And then all the speakers like this, the speakers like that. And I go, I've got two surprises for you. I can't remember the second surprise, but I said the, the, the first one is the speaker is actually me. I wrote that. And the kids were like, wow, is that you, Mr. DeGuar? Yeah, it was like, that was me. Um, so I wrote it because um, I wanted to show them that our concept of the speaker can be much different to the reality of who the speaker is. And we make these assumptions about who the speaker is, but is it really, is it really real? And we need to make our inferences based on evidence in the text, which is a lot of fun. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, you can do a lot with it with some really powerful texts. You can go to Churchill and Henry David Thoreau and, and Barack Obama or um, what's her name? Um, forget the young girl that's always screaming um, about climate change. I forget her name. Um, but yeah, it's what, AOC. Know. Are you talking about AOC? No, the young, something? young adolescent girl that was uh, Gretel Thunderbird. I think her name is Thunderbird. Uh, oh. Yeah, she was, she was, she uses kind of her rhetoric in her own way. But yeah, it's really, have you, have you taught rhetoric before? And, and um, I wanted to also connect with what you were saying about insomnia and teaching is, and like for those who, if, if anyone's listening to this and talking about teaching is that, you know, teaching can be really stressful because quite often is that you're expected to teach something. Okay. Like for example, this unit of rhetoric, but they might give you, they might say, okay, teach this. Here is the exam, the rest of it, figure it out on your own. And you need to figure out your content. You need to figure out your assignments. You need to figure out what, what skills you're going to teach them. You need to figure out what practice activities, what quizzes you need to figure out your pacing and it can be really stressful because not trying to, I'm not trying to disencourage anyone from being a teacher, but if you're at a school where you don't get a lot of support, you're expected to do that all on your own. And it's tough, yeah. right? So that can be amazingly stressful. And then if it doesn't go the way you want or your kids aren't learning and you're trying to reflect and change and, and they're not engaged, it's kind of just becomes your world just becomes horrible. Like it just, you just feel like this, this looming presence of everything kind of caving in and on top of you. So, um, you know, I think John's worked at schools like that. I've worked at schools like that. So the, the better prepared you are and, and the more resources and, and the better planned you are, the better is your experience as a teacher and better for the students. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, it's really important that you, uh, edit that out, that whole spiel because, uh, teachers all over the world are quitting as we speak, they're jumping <laughs> off cliffs jumping from planes without parachutes. They're just like, they can't do it. It's becoming so overwhelming. Like I feel, and I agree with you, but I was joking uh, in a sense. Um, um, and no, teaching is one of the greatest jobs, but I'll tell you what, dude, there is no job like it. And you're talking of a jet, like to a jack of trades. You know, I've done 
everything from, you know, basic retail and stocking and produce to uh, accounting, you know, at a high government level, dealing with uh, unemployment taxes to carp uh, not carpentry, but construction and cement work and electricity and tourism. And the list goes on and on, buddy. I've done so many things and there is no job as polarized to me as from my personal experience, um, and part of that's my fault, which I'll explain in a second, but it's so polarized, right? It's the the greatest job I've ever had by far. I mean, the rewards are abundant. However, on the flip side of that, on the Southern pole, it's fucking cold, bro. And it's hard. It is, it is the most challenging thing I have ever been through in my entire life. Now, back to why it's partially my fault is because I keep switching grades. You know, it took me a long time to finally settle into a country, right? Like I've taught in three countries since I was working with you in Colombia and you're still there. So I've had to change, right? I went to America, I went to China and now I'm in Thailand. And on top of that, I've changed grades. So any teacher, uh, find out which grade you want and try to snag that grade right away. Don't, I mean, my experience is great. I got to work from everywhere from first and second graders all the way up to now I've done 10th and 11th. But now I'm at 10th. I think I like eight through 10 the best. So to save yourself some turmoil, um, like I've been going through lately, but that's probably my own thinking. Uh, just, yeah, you find your niche, you find your group, your age group, and then you just stick with it. And, uh, but yeah, man, I, 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 I love the job, but it's just unfortunate that as, especially with technology, I feel like teachers, and then of course the ideological push around the world, um, a lot of teachers are leaving their jobs, dude. And it's not just the USA. It's it's all over. Uh, I think the US is number one, probably, for people jumping out of planes without shoots. But, um, you know, it's tough. And yeah, so just stick with it. Find your grade, man. Um, and uh, I'm rooting for you, buddy. I know you're a great teacher. I think you've been working the same age group for a while. So um, teaching is great, though. It is great. You'll never well, find an opportunity to exchange with different age groups, right? Or to have impact or to try to impact the future of the world. Um, so yeah, man, um, about that real quick, what do you think like in Colombia? Uh, I feel like standards are being lowered since COVID, right? There's the COVID hangover thing that people, that's what they call it now, at least at my school. Uh, so um, do you- well, Before you go there, can I just interrupt you? Cause you said- y Yes, yeah, sir. Like two things, it. I think. Just to clarify for anyone that's actually listening to this, uh, John and I are international teachers. So, and that's very different to working at a public school in your own country. When I worked at a public school in Australia, for example, they give you a curriculum that is, it's very structured. Um, it's a, it's a totally different beast. Uh, there's a lot less freedom. Uh, there's a lot less, um, there's, there's, it's much more structured and restrictive, but you kind of, you're in a system where if you work at an international school, if you work at a, you know, a language school, if you work at like a language institute, you work at a private school, a bilingual school, any of these type of institutions, and you're a foreigner working in those places, there is this expectation that you're a, you're a, the professional and, um, you know, you, you come in basically equipped with all the tools and resources to be uh, proficient and highly proficient at your job. And a lot of things, the other aspect to this, which is, I think fits into what John was saying is that a, 
quite often that schools are constantly changing, developing or, or lacking curriculum and structure. And, and so what does that mean? Is that at a public school, there is a curriculum that's rock solid. It's not perfect, but it's there working towards those, those end goals. But if you're going to work at a language school, and, and like I said, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from becoming a teacher, but it's just, it's the nature of the beast. Um, you know, that school might be experimenting with a totally different curriculum, totally different pedagogy. So, okay, we're doing projects, we're doing inquiry-based learning, we're doing whatever, and you're just expected uh, to, to make units of work to fit that. So that can be very daunting and, and, and um, high pressure. So the, the nature of the beast for international teaching, I'm going to say it's, it's, more, it's, it's somewhat more difficult because you're expected to adapt and to evolve to the particular institution. Um, when you're talking about, yeah. Uh, yeah, when you're talking about teachers from your home country quitting, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics in that. And, you know, I'll just speak for Australia is that, you know, recently, if you're a professional, I'll just say it like this. If you're a professional and you've studied for three, four or five years, usually it's four and a half to five years to become an educator. It's like, why would you want to be in, a, in, a, in an environment where you're not paid very well? And in Australia, we are paid quite well now, okay, up to 100,000 Australian dollars a year, which is like 20,000 American right now because the dollar is so strong. Um, up to 100,000 know, Australian dollars a year, you know, your risk, your you know how many how many students you have in the classroom are you respected are you critiqued uh what's your working conditions like you know are you as i said are you respected as a professional or all of that stuff like you can study for five years and be an engineer and make a hundred thousand dollars and you don't have to deal with bureaucracy right so those things are, are very unattractive you know those things repel a lot of great intelligent um gifted young people from the from the industry so it's kind of like there's two things there are you doing it because you know it's a respectable profe a profession that you're looking for a good quality of life and you're a good salary and then okay being a teacher and and having that integrity as a professional your status in the world or are you doing it because maybe this is the maybe this is the better in inverted common reason is because it's your vocation and you want to impact and influence people right and if it's if it's both, obviously that's a beautiful thing. But if it's maybe just if it's the first where you're looking for a professional industry, again, I think a lot of people are repelled by that, especially with the politics, you know, the bureaucracy, yeah. curriculum under attack, um, and that happens a lot. Obviously, you know, you hear a lot of stuff in the United States, and I'm sure you've got to talk about this in length. Um, you know, it's it's detracting people from from the industry, and like I don't understand why. I've got an inkling, but, you know, is, is that what you see is happening in the United States, John, where teachers are con constantly feeling threatened or under attack because they're told they're critiqued and they're micromanaged and they're, and they're told how to teach and what to teach. And they've lost the ability to maybe teach along with their, their ethics um, as, as a good person or as an, as an, as a professional. Yeah. Yeah, man. And for if anybody's listening, yeah, we have a podcast actually talking about our current situations on uh, uh, living abroad and teaching outside of our Western countries. Uh, it's a good one. There's a lot of good information and insight into the world of teaching abroad. Um, but yeah, you know, um, you know, and we can say that it's it's isolated, you know, uh, 
to our countries, but it's not. The whole world is following our curriculum, the US and British. There's no doubt about it. Uh, every, every, you know, all these international schools are following either Common Core or the IG, uh, IB. I, IB or the IGCE. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure about the IGCE, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the IB is the other really big one. Yeah, well, in Thailand, the British, so the British has a Common Core curriculum, and I'm sorry, I don't know it right now. Uh, it's the International Bachelor. Bachelorette. Okay. Yeah, that's the IB. Well, that's that's the IB, but there's the uh, IGCSE, maybe. Um, yeah, keep going, and I'll yeah, look for so it. Yeah, so it's the IGCSE, which is by based out of Cambridge, and it's kind of like Common Core American. So it's there's a lot of schools like that in Thailand, but you know, yeah, you know, there's we are going through a radical shift right now um, in education. You know, the world's changing uh, and really quickly, um, and. Um, I feel like as it changes, you know, administrators get to play and, and like pick off a menu, what they want, their five course meal or whatever. They get to choose whatever they want, but then we have to go cook it, right? These teachers have to go cook whatever they desire at any moment. Even if we don't have the ingredients, we got to go find them at the market. And this is what's happening right now with, I think, why a lot of teachers are quitting in the U.S. Because as the as the philosophies uh, uh, change, the expectations, technology, uh, I feel like people feel overwhelmed, you know, because it's changing so radically. And administrators sit in their little offices and they kind of just play experiment and play with different recipes, you know, and the teacher has to go there and build shit from scratch and deal with stuff they never dealt with. I mean... I shouldn't say that like they've never dealt with, but it's like an ongoing thing. It doesn't slow down. So the moment you grasp hold of, and you think you got it, there's something new we need to implement. And I think that's particularly true at my school where I'm working because they're trying so hard to be like, you know, I don't know, this modern education, which is uh, all based around student-based learning, which I am a grand supporter of. In fact, I'm trying to implement that in my classes. Um, but this this obsession with technology, um, which makes me want to just go back to paper and pencil, dude, like seriously. But yeah, so I think that's that's kind of the gist of it is that the teachers are alone. The teachers are the the actual caretaker, the actual guide, uh, not to use uh, I hate to use this word because it might turn some people off, but like a shepherd of a sort. And then you have the landowner, right? And 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 we we work for the landowner, and they they can take our jobs from us. They can tell us how to 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 work the land, right? And what to do with the cattle. Um, and we don't, you know. And but because of our passion, we stick with it. But like I said, these people in offices don't go through what the teachers are going through. So I think that's why there's a huge upheaval. I think that's why there's a massive change in career uh, in the U.S. right now. Yeah. Uh, it's understaffed. They can't find enough teachers right now. I mean, the U.S. has more complications other than just curriculum change. There's a lot more going on, right? Postmodernism, rebelling against authority, parents friending their children rather than shaping and parenting their children. And the teacher is always at blame. Uh, this happened to me the other day. Dude. I have a student named, oh, I almost dropped a name. I shouldn't say that. Okay, good thing I didn't. Uh, I have a student that is just always gone. Last year, I had to spend so many countless hours making him pass, right? Because he just never was online. He was always gone. He had about a 12%. And now this year, he's at about 8% of 
you know, that's his grade. And he just sent me an email and was like, teacher, I need some makeup work for last semester. And I was, I didn't even respond to him, dude. He was home with COVID and he came back today. I didn't even respond to him. I was like, no, no, I don't think so, dude. I went through all this with you last year. You promised me. I had a great discussion with him today. And I was like, dude, I am not changing your grade. If the school wants to do it by themselves, they can. My signature will not be on there because you did this to me last year. You promised and you're worse this year. And, and, and he's like, he's a good kid. He's just, but the point is, is that I had to write, you know, uh, a letter of concern, letter of concern, whatever. And, uh, the moment I did that, within two days, his parents were like, no, we drop him off at school every day. Uh, there's an error there. You guys are making a mistake. So then my, of course, my boss is like, uh, John, do you have your attendance sheets? Because the parents say that's not true and the students saying that's not true. And so I have to go through all my documents, photograph all my stuff for the whole year already, and then send it. And then it's silent, right? And you know um, that in a sense, you're being monitored, like, and this is an uncomfortable feeling, dude. And today I was, I told him that I was like, dude, you're lying. You're lying to your parents. You told them that you're always in my class. Are you? And he said, no, I'm not. I was like, anyways, I hope you recorded that conversation. <laughs> was it on zoom? I no, it was, face to, it was face to face. You know, I really should have, I didn't think about it, but I don't like that kind of like, uh, it's kind of, that's, a, that's a, that's a kind of uh, sticky territory. It's, it's, it's a very yeah, no, great area. Cause like it's, if you record that conversation and, and, and that can get you into trouble as well, especially with the student's position, uh, <laughs> permission. Yeah. But anyways, life's good, man. It's just like what you said in your message to me. Um, that is really the way you see things. You got to be grateful and you've got to just uh, think of the bright side of the job. And there still is a lot. There still well, is a lot. Yeah. And I think you said it really well is that, and, and, and to maybe the overarching kind of theme or, or the, 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 the main thesis statement is that you're working within an institution is that schools are an institution and they are, even if they're non-for-profit, they still work and they have a very similar kind of structure as every business that I've ever worked at. You know, I wasn't always a teacher either and I've worked at businesses and they, they sort of have the same kind of like, they have a hierarchy of kind of like the military. Um, they have their, their business model. They, they need to attract clients and maintain them. The reality is for me, I don't see schools as schools. I see them as businesses. Um, it's just a matter of what type of business and what type of school and what type of ideology do they have and what what business model do you do you agree with and what is the the overall effect, you know, and, and education, the quality of education that that business institution offers for your kid, right? Or for those students. So I think that's the, personally, that's the reality um, but within that, within those institutions, and as John said, I really believe there's great things that happen in the, in the educational institution. And I believe that you can inspire, you can, you can educate, you can create great things. You can have, you know, the, the woman that interviewed me, um, in my first international school, she was beautiful. She's, she's, a, she's very bureaucratic, a great, um, leader, very political, super intelligent. And she said, Steve, listen, you know, we don't really have a structured curriculum, but some people don't like that. And they find that, you know, to be, um, to be a little bit daunting and overwhelming, but she's like, I like it because it gives me great amounts of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's very, very clever in the way she spun that. But it's also true is that, you know, lots of international schools, you can, you know, if you can, you can 
constantly be changing and evolving curriculum and, and teaching methods for you and your students. And that's really, really cool. Um, this yeah. year we're teaching this, this, uh, this unit or this whole year curriculum, which has been built by a couple of teachers about Greek myths under the, the big questions of who am I, where do I come from? Um, what happens when I die? What, what, um, what, where do we live and, and what is this society basically that we live in? You know, what is, what does it mean to be human is probably a better question. And our whole curriculum is based on that. And then to look, to answer those questions, we're looking at, you know, where do we come from our, our ideas of, of self and our humanity. And it's a lot of it's through myths and, and literature that explains the human condition. And then the year after it's completely subverted where it's like, all right, what about if all that's a lie? And then what about if everything is a lie and institutions are a lie and myths are a lie? And then it's completely the opposite. And these teachers have created this curriculum that's really fun to teach because they can, right? Because they can. And that's really, really cool. So what am I saying here is that, yeah, it's it's definitely a tough job. I can see um, why teachers, you know, teachers at at some stage, especially in those first three years really struggle, uh, especially in the international teaching. If you're becoming a teacher and you're starting in the international world, I would say in lots of ways that is more difficult. Um, it's really challenging, um, but there are great reward, rewards, uh, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely tough. Absolutely. Everybody. And you know what? It's my Friday night, so I'd like to call it uh, quits on the talking about education. <laughs> uh, sure. I'm just playing. But like, no, no, no. I think we touched on some important stuff. Uh, there's a, a couple more things I'd like to go over. Um, it is, it is a, it's a whole world. We can have full podcasts about these things. Um, I mean, we could have a whole season based on this stuff if we organized it correctly. But um, but yeah, man, it's a tough gig. There's, it's a whole universe in itself. It's a whole, like, it feels like a, its own, like, yeah, its own world basically. Um, and it's fascinating. Um, but, um, I kind of want to go into the more personal, what, how's your life going? How's the family changing gears abruptly? So okay. well, let's first, do that. I want to ask you, what do you guys, what do you guys do for Halloween? Have you guys been celebrating Halloween, Thanksgiving? Do you got a Christmas tree up? What's going on? Yeah, we definitely have a Christmas tree up. Uh, Halloween's massive at our school. So our English department came uh, dressed up as the Jurassic Park um, cast, which is really cool. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the vibe is great. Like there's lots of dress ups. It's kind of like a time for the kids to have fun and, and um, you know, just just play with different different roles uh you know get give candy and and just do kind of fun halloween activities hang out with their friends and and yeah are they allowed to dress up like are they allowed to like get out of uniform and put on whatever they want or is it just like face paint or no absolutely they there's some really crazy costumes yeah so they they get dressed up they they their kids are right into it they have really extravagant costumes um it's a lot of fun yeah, it was pretty cool. The English department, they actually got um, these kind of like blow up dinosaurs, those actual suits uh, of dinosaur suits. There was a Tyrannosaurus Rex, there was a Pterodactyl and a Triceratops. And they put on these suits and they have these like little battery powered motors and they inflate, you know, like you see those um, and they're just running around scaring all the kids, uh, chasing them around with the suits, which is pretty, pretty wild and pretty funny. Um, and that's yeah, pretty... man, that's, 
That's awesome, man. That's like the good stuff about being a teacher. Like, I, I don't want to get back into it, but like, that is why I continue. It's those events, right? Like the joy that, that they experience, right? Mm -hmm. the, the break in monotony um, and our joy, because it's fun for us. We just got done with a sports day. So we had two days where it was just sports, right? And uh, it was on the heels of Halloween. It's starting to pick up here in Thailand, Halloween, but it's still not that big. Um, but it sounds like your experience was awesome. We had the sports day. That's like they wear like face paint and they wear, we all have colors, right? There's four colors and the teachers are assigned colors and it's just sports all day. And like we had a basketball team. So these are the wonderful parts of teaching are these events. Um, but Halloween, that's very interesting because I know that some Catholic uh, uh, Colombia is a Catholic country and some Catholic um, countries and institutions actually don't like Halloween because it's, it's a misrepresentation of, well, I shouldn't say it's a misrepresentation, um, but it's, it's, you know, I, you, I think, you know what I mean? They just frown upon it because it's about monsters and demons and devils, you know, and vampires and stuff like this and, and too much sugar. Right. Uh, so, but you're in a Catholic country, but you're also at an international school. So maybe that plays into it. I'm not sure. Do you, do you think your public schools have a fun Halloween? Yeah, I think Halloween's taken off a lot in, in Colombia. And, and so a lot of the public schools, they do it. They don't have the the resources like our school does to to dress up in such extreme, like they would like a whole kid's dressing up as minions, whole kids dressing up as superheroes, whole kids dressing up, like spending lots of money as Romans and, and um, you know, like a bunch of girls dressed up as, as genies and yeah, you know, you name it, it probably was there. And to, to add to that, like there was a huge parade and, you know, gifts and, and like um, they have this, they have like these color war activity where they throw balls of paint, like, you know, paint at each other. That's like kind of like waterproof, paint and music and it's it's wild dude like everybody takes it super the teachers take it super seriously so um i think it's definitely we we are probably the extreme because it's the american model at the at our school but it's definitely filtered through because even in our building here like there were kids trick-or-treating you know around the the street in our our streets here so in in colombia and chapinero you know it's just it, so it's I think it's quite become quite, you know, it's, it's contagious. It's, it's good energy. It's, it's good fun. You know, as a teacher, you get to see kids in a different environment. Like even yesterday or the day before I was, um, what did we have? I was watching the kids play chess. It was like, uh, what did we have yesterday? The other day it was, uh, Thanksgiving. So like as part of our Thanksgiving day, uh, there was a whole bunch of different activities. There was an assembly and, and, um, there was, there was an activity where kids got put into groups and they got to see the the service people that work at our school and they got to talk to them and they got to give them a basket of, of food and to say thank you for the people that work at our school, that maintain our school, that clean the school, that provide security for the school. Um, and the kids got to talk to those service people and ask, we asked them questions about, you know, where do they live and what do they do and who, what they, where, you know, where is their family and where are they from and, and what is it like working at the school and what are they like? And you have all these kind of, this was for obviously just for um, Thanksgiving. It was like a half day and and you get to see the kids in a different environment. And at the end, the kids got put into different groups. It was like four different activities. One was watching the World Cup. One was playing volleyball, uh, dodgeball. The other one I think was playing chess. And I was in the chess rooms. And I was watching the kids play chess and it was kids that I would never have thought 
liked chess and they were in that classroom playing chess and they were so into it and they were good, right? And it's being able to talk to them and connect with them and and, and say, oh, well, how long have you been playing chess for? And, and why do you like it? It's the, the, the human part of, the human part of, you know, the human connections, working with kids and working with society, contributing is very, very fulfilling. And I think they have to be the, the ideological foundational philosophies that we adopt to make sure or to, or to, or to maintain um, resilience when things get difficult. So if you're having a bad week or a bad day, it's like, why am I actually here? And num- the number one reason should be it's, I'm here because I want to impact these kids right? Yeah. Number two, it should be because every day I'm here, I'm going to grow as an educator and learn and be a great educator, right? So those foundational beliefs that that really, I think, are underneath the ideas that you're sharing, I think really shape us and they shape our perspective and, they, and you can deal with adver- adversity um, much more uh, like holistically or just, you know, mm. you can just absorb it and, and breathe in it and let it go. So yeah, we had Halloween, we had um, Thanksgiving, and then that's why I'm here podcasting today because it's a Thanksgiving break. Um, and uh, yeah, they, the school gives us basically we had two days off, and then we have a four day long weekend, and we go back into it, which is which is really nice. So it's time you can spend with your family, and it's not just you know it's like some other corporate jobs. It's it's your life is not just work and grind and work and grind. It's um work kids you know, contribute and then spend time with your family. Yeah, man. Holidays, you know, having a young child, uh, as we both do, uh, mine's going on two years and eight months tomorrow. He'll be two years, eight months old. Uh, yours is one year, one month or something, or a little over a year. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm not sure how much I mean, you're just getting started with it, but she is going to be fascinated by the Christmas tree and she will like her eyes will be open to the masks. But man, once they hit like two and a half years old. So my son had his first Halloween uh, and he just loved it, you know, and all he had was like this funny pair of glasses on and like uh, like a sticker on his face. That was it. But all the pictures we got with the other kids, the other Thai kids around the neighborhood is just fantastic, you know, and it it is it is taking off like in the neighborhoods so it's it's just a wonderful thing spending time with kids you know uh your your own kids prim- especially i mean all kids but especially uh your own kids you know and that wonder you know so that's kind of why i brought up halloween uh was to talk about you know i i dressed up with the scariest living being um currently uh uh you know the 46th president in the united states um just joking. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to talk about these experiences that we go through. And, you know, I don't know what you can do with your one-year-old at the moment, but like, I mean, man, just going swimming with my son, watching him tread water. And now he jumps off this, you know, pool into my arms and we just have a great time. Do we go play basketball, dude? And I put a little helmet on and, he, and all the, all the Thai kids are laughing at him and he's got his little bicycle helmet on because dude, I, I already clocked him out one time, dude. And he, you know, I won't take it off now because even my wife last weekend, she shot the basketball and it just hit him right in the head and he went down. I was like, dang, we probably should stop basketball for a couple of years. But dude, I went to the aquarium a few weeks ago, um, you know, and dude, we go search, we go walking around looking for 
animals, you know, lizards, bugs, whatever we can, shrubs, birds. And that's what we do, you know, as parents. And this is the good thing about being a teacher is you get to like, I feel like you and I get to learn what to expect from our child as they get there. And we know they're, you know, adolescence is a hard time. Um, I also teach grade two every Monday and Tuesday. So it's fascinating to see the different levels, but it is the most wonderful feeling of my life that keeps me going. Just having new experiences like Halloween with my son, uh, the aquarium, dude, I felt like, dude, I took him to the aquarium. Right. And, um, it's like the one time. So in Thailand, you're uh, not to talk down about Thailand. I do love this country, but there's really hard things. There's double standards, double pricing. Uh, so oftentimes I pay 10 times more than a Thai person, even though I pay more taxes than that Thai person. And that's frustrated me a lot. But we went to the aquarium and it was like 1400 baht. And just to tell you in US dollars, that used to be about $50. But now it's like, 28 because the dollar is so strong <laughs> but dude we got in there and i felt like wily coyote chasing roadrunner dude it was the craziest thing that dude was all over the place running up and down like so dangerous so sketchy man there's penguins or sharks there's so much stuff and he just can't stop my son is dude i should just call him flash dude like he is lightning dude <laughs> he's the hardest guy uh sometimes to to stay on top of but man what wonderful experiences i love halloween it sounds like in colombia halloween is almost it's like a hybrid of like halloween and carnival right because you guys colombia has the second largest carnival in the world next to uh, rio um in barranquilla and uh so it sounds like because you have that stuff in your culture you guys take it to a whole new level it's just another excuse for one more mini carnival right like you said you had like blow up dinosaur suits i mean that's badass you don't see that i mean like i mean what they do they have like a a radio flyer behind them with a battery like a car battery like what was running the air well no that's yeah they have like in, in the suit there's like a it's it's just like a vacuum compressor or, or like um a blower <laughs> Right, and then it just inflates those. I'm sure you've seen on social media those those Tyrannosaurus Rexes that, you know, people are inside the suit. Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, pretty. They're, they're insane. So you're right. They just took it to the extreme, and teachers paid for this stuff out of their own pocket. They were like two hundred dollars. These suits. The teachers did. The teachers, three of them, paid for the suits themselves. Right. Just oh, they but they wore, them. but they wore them. It what they didn't buy it for the student. They wore no, they bought it. For, yeah, they bought them for themselves, and they wore them. Okay on halloween and they had a lot of fun with them but they literally paid out of their own pocket like 200 dollars to use uh you know to use these uh dinosaur suits for one day because they wanted to have that experience yeah man i think that's really the beauty of life you know is to really appreciate experiences and to and to realize that everything is temporary and we shouldn't be just you know on autopilot we should be not trying to get places in the future. We should be just taking things slow and appreciating it. And yes, we have responsibilities, but you know, just to, I think there is an art of, there's an art and craft of enjoyment. You know, there's an mm -hmm. art and craft of being able to really understand how the, you know, the craft of a particular moment, the craft of a particular experience and to be able to be immersed in that, to understand it and to, to feel it and to, to develop that and to really, you know, have this connection with it. And it's, it can be the, the art of eating, right? It can just be able to eat somewhere and, and just to taste 
the food, to actually taste the food and to, to relish every bite, every morsel, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very easy just to eat on autopilot and just forget about where you are. Right. So it's, and whether it's teaching or whether it's, um, you know, the afternoons of the grind, you know, cooking for your family or, you know, dealing with your, your spouse, it's, I think it's very easy to forget that it's, it is temporary and we should, you know, living in Colombia, like I've been here now for almost seven years and um, it's crazy. It's very easy to take that for granted, you know, like, but at the same time, as soon as you kind of just remember who you are, remember what you're doing, remember where you are, remember to appreciate, you know, those experiences. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the light flicks on and you can just be, oh, wow, I'm in Colombia. Wow. I can appreciate that. Sorry. But um, at the moment, I think my biggest challenge right now is with my family because I've got two kids and like I've got my stepson and I've got my daughter. My wife is working a lot and she's very, um, she's very. What do you mean by a lot? She's working more than full time. Yeah, she she leaves around 7.30 in the morning and she gets home around 7 p.m. every day. Holy well, shit, dude. Yeah, five days a week. So she's, What is she doing? She's she's a neuropsychologist and she's um, she's working with kids with autism and she's doing diagnostical stuff and she's uh, she's diagnosing and she's doing therapies with them. And it's a, it's a dream wow. job, but she's giving a lot of that, her energy into that job. And um, the salary she's making, she's pretty happy with that. But it's 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 just hard, man. I find it really challenging because she's I'm taking care of my daughter a lot more than she is. I'm taking I'm probably and that's doing, five days a week or six days. It's five, thank the Lord. Okay. If thank it was God, six, yeah. I'd probably I'd probably just lose my mind and um jump out of the building uh, <laughs> directly hey. off the balcony. Maybe I'd go up a couple of levels to make sure. But um <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's do pretty, that, dude. It's it's very it's 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 hard you know like it's hard to to give your energy to um i'm probably doing 80 percent of the heavy lifting in the house the cooking and the cleaning and um we've got a a young girl and she's helping us now we're paying her full time to work as a nanny which is great and that's a huge help but i've got and i get when i get back from work i've got an hour to myself to get myself organized whether it's go to the gym or start cooking or cleaning and then she leaves and then I'm I'm with my daughter from about five to eight o'clock until she sleeps. And with no no assistance, right? Just you and, yeah. and, and then Angel's running around in the background. Probably shouldn't say his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Is that okay? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think, yeah, it's you know, she helps, but it's it's man, I feel like I feel like society punishes you for having children. I feel like if you have children, there's not a a whole lot of help and children are just pushed in the, in the backdrop. They just pushed out of the way. And it's like a woman has children and there's not a whole heap of help for women in, in in Australia and Colombia. Like I know in some European countries like Malta, for example, they, you know, childcare is free up until they go to school. Um, Those things, but it's, it's, it's challenging, man. And, and, you know, there's, I think our relationship has suffered quite a bit, mine and my wife, in the sense that there's a lot more, um, there's a lot of romance that's kind of deteriorated. It's, it's a lot harder for me to, to make time for our relationship and, and to, to, to nurture that love and respect. Um, lots of times that she's kind of on autopilot and we need, need to get things done. She becomes really, um, you know, a partner instead of a wife, she becomes like, you know, someone to help. And it's, it's, it's really quite um, 
would say disheartening because, you know, your relationship, I, I feel like my relationship, unless I really make an effort to keep it alive and I feel like I have to make an effort and she doesn't, then it, it just deteriorates and, and you could spend a few weeks can go by and I've hardly spoken to my wife, you know, and we woke up yeah. the other day and she was, and, I, and she asked me a question and I explained the answer. And she's like, why didn't you tell me this before? And I'm like, Kiri, you didn't ask. And we don't have, you know, I said, you didn't ask and we don't, we're not talking at the moment. We're not really talking. We're communicating, yeah. but we're not we're communicating about basic things that need to get done, but we're not really talking and communicating about how things really are like we used to so it's yeah it's, that will that that will never that will never end well so like we're talking about the art of doing things right you were talking about the art of this um of eating right or of going about your day but there's the art of relationship maintenance you know and it seems like um this modern world we live in since the 40s um is you know the atomic family and the larger family and community is under assault. Now I don't, I'm not saying that it's intentional. So maybe I shouldn't have used the word assault, but that's what it feels like, dude. It's almost impossible to have an actual family that is, you know, that is strong, stable, consistent. It's like, you have to have a nanny. And I actually kind of want to know how much that costs. I'm curious about it, but you have to have a, like a nanny. And I guess you don't have to, but really without one, you guys have half the income or something, you know, and, and that's not really feasible in today's world. It's almost as if, yeah, I feel like it's like, like the family and the communities under assault doing due to like the new, since the forties, this new, both parents have to work. I mean, the only way you can avoid that is if you're a big time baller, like, you know, if you're, you don't have to be rich, but you have to be upper, upper middle class right? You can't just be, even middle-class families can't do it anymore, right? Lower-class families definitely cannot do it. So it's like impossible to go back to that very sustainable family-oriented life that we used to, that used to be present in the world for centuries and centuries. You know, it's it's, it's unfortunate. We're all being half paid. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's like this dichotomy, right? It's all this um, dilemma that you have, you have a woman who's educated, and can make X amount of money. And then she, she just becomes a housewife, a housewife. And she's, um, and then you lose the income in the house, but she's gaining the experience of being the, the mother and, and the queen of the house and, and taking care of the household. But then at the same time, she's some, she's limited in her exposure to society. She's limited in her contribution. And, and she's kind of like, I'm trying to think of the word diminished is probably the, the word diminished to that one thing. Whereas she's capable of being so much more. And I just don't understand that we haven't found a balance between women being able to work and then doing something that she likes, you know, and contributing at the same time, still being able to be, you know, a present purposeful, active mother in society. It's like, why do we have to have both men like the men, you know, both sexes working and then both working their asses off to maintain a certain amount of um, a certain a certain lifestyle, a certain level of dignity. Uh, because I feel like if both extremes are not useful, both extremes, both extremes, if, if you have, she's working all the time, um, that's not, that's not useful. That's not purposeful. That's not, um, 
I think that's not the, the best kind of situation or result. But, and then if she's, if she's not working at all, I don't think that's the best result either. Um, so there's, there's doesn't seem like we've found this balance. And then what happens is you have both people working. And then like, as you said, I think it is under assault in the sense we've lost, we've lost that thing that under assault to me means that thing that was precious, which was the, the sacred um, connection of the family home, which was the mom and the father, you know, working together to, to keep this sacred space of, of time and presence. And that's definitely um, being under assault because it's, it's, it's threatened. And for lots of people it's lost. Uh, so I'm not saying that I'm obviously not saying that every woman should be a housewife or every woman should work. I think it depends on the woman. What I am saying is that it seems very difficult for the majority of people to find this balance on how they can contribute between being, being a, a mother in that sacred space, providing that energy and, being a contributing to the workforce with who they are being stimulated and, and also earning, um, you know, a, a dignified amount of money so that they can contribute because really um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So no, I haven't got the answer, but I think our society needs to, to really like, especially Western society really reflect on that because uh, from my experience is that what I feel the emotional response is that women Women are punished to have children. Society punishes you. Oh, you want to have a kid? Great. Do that shit on your own time. You know, you want to have a kid? Great. You know, make sure that, you know, make sure you organize yourself. Get your nanny, get your guadaria, you know, get your, your your daycare center. But just do that on your own time because we don't care if you have kids or not. We're expecting you to be here from 7.30, 8 o'clock yeah. till 6 p.m. And how you get there and back, that's that's on your own as well who takes care of your kid that's on you you know uh yeah. and how much we should follow we should i feel like we should follow like israel's lead israel uh the mother has two years of maternity leave and the father has one year wow so the first year of your born child both parents can be home and are actually i don't know if they're required to be but i i think that everybody does it it's the culture you know um a year of paternity leave, dude, yeah. and you're paid. You don't have a, you know, a drop in income and the mother two years, you know, and then everybody goes back to work. So uh, a lot of props to Israel and, you know, uh, Judaism for that, uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's a tough time, man. It's a tough time, but we got to, like, like you always tell me when I send you my sobbing messages, uh, you got to bear with it. You got to do the best you can with what we got because that's really the only way to make it positive or else we can go, you know, to the top floor and take a leap. And that's not good for anybody. So, um, yeah, man. So how much do you pay for your nanny? I'm just curious. Well, we pay her a little bit over the, the, the minimum salary and the minimum salary right now in Colombia is about a million pesos a month. Um, and the dollar is really strong at the moment. So it's around $1 is, I don't know if you've seen this recently is, is 5,000 pesos. Holy she's neat. That is, mm -hmm. that is Crazy. good. If you're a tourist, that's great. If you're a tourist, yep. right? Like the same thing here in Thailand, but I don't know why we haven't been hit as hard as you have. Uh, you know, when I left Colombia, it was 3000 to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Now it's 5,000. When I first got to Thailand, it was 30 bot to the dollar. Now it's about 40. Uh, so we're about, what is that? 20%, 20%. 
20%. Yeah, we, we, we're a bit 20% stronger than the peso for some reason. I don't even know why, because the bot isn't that powerful and Thailand doesn't have his shit together. Uh, well, most countries don't, shouldn't talk smack. But I think but that's yeah, even okay. more. I think it's even more. It's about 30%. Because like um, 10, 10 on 30, that's like 30% of, so it's gone up like, yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's around 30%. And that's, that is a lot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the dollar, the, the situation glo globally is is weird, but it's and for Colombians, as long as the inflation, inflation kind of stabilizes, it's not too bad because things cost a certain amount of money. And as long as their incomes are congruent with that and they can, you can live a kind of dignified life, but we pay her the minimum salary a little bit over. I pay her a little bit over because I want to really keep her and she's amazing and she's young and I want to encourage her to study and do things, great things with her life. Uh, but it's it's really the minimum salary is around 200 US dollars a month at the moment, which is nothing. Wow. Yeah. But you can't really think in dollars here because, you know, if, if I look at how much I get paid in, in US dollars, it's really not that much. And, um, but dollars, if you bring dollars to Colombia, it just it just goes so far. You know, you bring a thousand dollars American and you know that you got five million pesos. You can do a lot with five million pesos. Yeah, it's amazing, like this transfer of power and what's going on and like how strong the dollar is uh outside of the US, which is actually a quite a fascinating topic of discussion actually mm -hmm. maybe for a future time but the dollar is powerful but americans are suffering more than ever and that is insane right like the dollar is so weak within the united states it is the weakest it's been in 50 years i think i mean people cannot afford shit dude they just can't my mom bought a one-way ticket and this is part COVID too, but it's also the gas prices, right? The gas prices are the biggest deal. COVID has probably about 20 to 30% influence, but you know, it's crazy. They just tax the shit out of you over the holidays. You know, my mom, dude, when I came here back in the day, like not too long ago, like seven years ago, I could buy a round trip ticket for a thousand. My mom's one way ticket was over a thousand dollars one way. And a round trip's like $1,500. Now it is the holidays, right? But I was looking earlier on and it was still like, I got a one way for about $673 when I came here this time. And uh, my mom just paid 11. You know, that's insane, dude. So like, that's just fascinating to me because it's such yeah. a, it's like, you know what I mean? Like the, a lot of people around the world are confused. They see an American or, a, a, you know, a, Br a Brit or a European and they say all oh, rich people, but they don't understand that in our home countries, we're poor as fuck. I mean, really it's a, people are struggling, dude, big time. It makes me wonder like who's benefit, who benefits from it. And, uh, and obviously international elites, of course, right. Yeah. Based in the U S this is like pushing, pushing, uh, uh, what do you call that? When you like Trump brought people home, right? He said, no, work in America, build in America, and the economy, the American themselves did really well. But the Democrats and Biden, sorry to get political, I'll, I'll leave it very quick. Uh, uh, they're all about, what is that called? Outsourcing? Not outsourcing. What is it? What's yeah, it's the outsourcing. Economic? Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, they're all about outsourcing. And so these billionaires in the US, oh, they're in a fucking, they're at, they're, they're in heaven, right? They are 
feeling better than ever while the rest of us, 95% of us suffer more than ever. They benefit more than ever. So let's save that for a different topic. Cause I think that could be a whole, I don't know, a whole podcast about yeah. that in general and not just the U S but Anyways, yeah, it's crazy, man. Crazy times. Um, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad, the, I'm glad the, the rich are happy. Well, the individual doesn't benefit, that's for sure. Because if the dollar is stronger in other countries, like, so what? And what, what are you going to do? Come here and live in Colombia? And then, you know, it's only great for tourism if for the individual. But, you know, if you're a tourist, great. Um, if you earn dollars in a, in a developing country, okay, you're one of the, the lucky ones. But generally for most people is that, you know, if, if the dollar is weaker or stronger, it doesn't really make any difference. What matters is salaries in the United States and it matters the level of inflation in the United States and the level of dignity, dignity people have living in their own countries. Um, I think what it does as well, it, it, um, it, it allows imports, you know, so if, if the United States is buying products from Colombia now, because the peso was so weak, those products just went down, decreased in value by 20, 30%, right? So they're getting the same product for 30% less. So that, yeah, I think but, that, the, but the consumer doesn't, doesn't see that. No. It's, and the consumer doesn't get that. Like you said, what is the profit? Right. Profit has nothing to do with the consumer. No, uh, it's the highest prices I've ever seen in my life that anybody's ever seen. And I'm not young anymore. I am 43. And to be able to say that I haven't seen it in my life seems quite significant now. Um, you know, eggs, dude, a dozen eggs used to just be a dollar ninety nine. Right now they're like seven bucks, dude. That's wow. like a fucking three hundred percent increase. Like everything is, and and you're right. Like our businessmen and women are reaping tremendous benefits from this, uh, but but we're not. And I and maybe it's not them being greedy. It could be like transportation costs, right? Because I also know that you used to be able to ship a cargo container from thailand to the united states for i think it was like three or three thousand dollars us i think it was like three thousand dollars us and you get one full container now it's like six or seven so maybe that's part of the reason you know like so i don't want to just blame the rich because we do need rich people for many reasons and i don't want to scare them off or or inspire them to kill me uh i just uh <laughs> I just saying it's complicated, man. We can have a whole podcast on. Yeah, that. we should interview an, an economist to figure out what's going on. But it's, it's it definitely That'd seems awesome. like the everyday person doesn't really benefit from um, inflation. And I think, and then there's this thing where banks also, obviously, they they increase their interest rates because, uh, you know, because of inflation. So that anyone with a mortgage, like my my mortgage payments uh, are quite low, but my interest payment, my interest portion is quite high. So the banks also, or everyone that has a mortgage pays more interest because the banks are trying to recuperate the the loss of value on their the money that they've lent out. So then a lot of it just feels like the, the everyday person really suffers. Um, but it is what it is, man. You know, it's it is what it is. But let's, I guess, going back to what you're saying is that you know, paying her that salary to help, we have two options. We either put my daughter in a in a in a babysitter in a in a a daycare center and we pay half the price and she gets half the attention and they kind of treat her quite badly is what we found. Or we pay a lot of money and get her in a good one. Um, or one of us has to stay home and take care of the baby. And it's not really feasible to do that. So families and 
you know, I was in Malta about six months ago and in Malta, they definitely have free daycare basically for, for newborns up until they go, people go back to work. Um, and while you're working, you get free daycare, which is, which is amazing. But in Colombia, this is in Malta, in Malta. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. In, Okay. In That's what the, I, okay. Yeah. In the little, the little Island of Malta. Um, and I think that's great, you know, but I don't know, it's kind of this balance. And I feel like that our energy levels and it's, it's just, it's become so much more apparent how to use time. It's just, you don't really want to be using time, letting it slip through your fingers. It's kind of, it's becomes, you know, your concept of time, I think in your, in your thirties, you start to really feel it and understand it. But I think in your forties, you really get it is that time becomes something that was once ephemeral and, you know, everlasting and to, to something that becomes a really precious resource. And, and it's, you should really use it intelligently because it's not going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's the, that's kind of why, like, I think that's where we get the, 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 I hope I admit, I heard you correctly, but that's where we get this term, the atomic family, right? That comes from the, the, or the nucleic mm-hmm. uh, family, right? And it comes from this. And what is the nucleus, right? It is the foundation of life, right? So like, we call it that because it's the foundation of human life and community and it's gone. And, and, you know, I, I don't think it will be overwhelmingly depressing, but I do think that as we pursue our careers, always in the end, we wish we had more time for one thing and that was our children. And then I just hope that none of us are resentful in that hour of darkening, you know, the, when the candles, you know, burning low, um, that we don't have to confront this issue. At least we can forgive ourselves, right? It wasn't our choice. Um, but I think that's going to be heartbreaking, you know, for a lot of mothers, especially because men were kind of used to it, right? Like we've been doing it for thousands of years. Like we've, we've always done it. We're the hunters. We're the warriors. You know, we're always gone. We have been for shit, maybe millions of years. I don't even know. But women really have been the center of the home and family for those millions of years until just 70 years ago, 80 years ago. And I just, you know, I don't want to be too... I shouldn't be too dark. I'm just saying, God bless everyone and try to stay positive because it's not going to be fun at, you know, when you realized, God, was my job really that, that great, you know, important like, and important. Like, was it, it even that, that important? Like, yeah. what was the, you know, it's, but, but it's really not going back to rhetoric, right? That's the rhetoric of our nations. That's the rhetoric of, uh, of, uh, climbing what, the ladder, right? The dream. Told- yeah, mm-hmm. it's the rhetoric. It's what we're told, and we believe it uh, because they're so good at persuasion and stuff like that. But, but I think that point that you made is so powerful because, really, the atomic family, like the the having children and a family, and it, it's something that I've only really understood recently. Recently, that is what perpetuates the our society. That is what perpetuates humanity. That is what perpetuates and creates um, connections and experiences and bonds of the family, of society, of our community. Without people having children, you know, without people having children, then what happens to our, what happens to society? We just get a whole bunch of old people, then no new kids, right? And then what are we really working for? And it it drastically, it shapes and changes your perspective of why am I actually working? And it's, it becomes from a, 
you know, initially work for ourselves. And then as we obtain more knowledge and skills, we can start to work for others. We can start to yeah. share our wealth. Right. And that's such an important thing. Um, and when we forget that, or we, if we're not told that, and we're just, we're just working because we think that we need to work. Uh, then I think that we miss out on a lot of what life, the, the other dimension, the dimension and dynamics of what life is about. And I, I also think too, like people have said to me, oh, I don't want to have kids. And I've, I've really thought about why people say that. I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have kids. And a lot of times what I feel is it's the fear of I'm not capable enough of, of having that responsibility of taking care of somebody else. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And that, that's what I feel is, is the ultimate response. But I also realized that why should you have kids? Right. Why should you have kids? And I realized that. Yeah. If you love somebody, children are an expression of that love and an extension of that love that you have with that person and brings love into the nest. So yeah. why would you not want to have children when they are just the expressions of love? And people say, oh, you know, because the world is a dark place and, you know, there's lots of pain. But what do you want? Do you want to protect children? You want people never to be, have been born because, you know, the world is evil the world is dark there's pain like man i think sometimes we lose perspective like look at the fucking romans look at the spartans look at the type of people that they were look at the adversity 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 that we had previously and then now our, our we're living in the best technological age in the world in society in in where we've ever lived scientifically keeping us alive you know i don't think oh uh, you know the the world is a dark place or there's pain is really is really a strong argument. I feel like it's a weak argument. So I think there's so many reasons why that expression of love manifests into children and how it provides depth and purpose. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, attacking the atomic family or, or not, not respecting that sacred space is extremely dangerous for society because we're just educating people not to have children or there yeah. are better things in children. And then, then you lose your job or you realize that, you know, you're 40 or you're 50 and you're like, ah, I gave 30 years of my life to this job and now I'm unemployed. And you're like, replaceable, what? buddy. You're nuts like, and bolts. Yeah. It's like, you know, and I taking this shit people, so seriously. I think those people don't want to have kids and part of it's subconscious. They know the real situation. You know, I think that back in the day we built our families and our homes on marble and basalt. But today, with the, the way things are, we're building them, our homes and our families on pebbles and sand. And I just don't think that it's sustainable. So like people, they, they don't know that. They don't think of it the way I just stated it. But think about that. The Bible talks about building your house on rock, right? Not on sand. There's a whole story about this. And this is about the family and community. And right now, it's pebbles and sand, bro, for everybody. Um, it's, you know, unless you're extremely rich, then you've got the marble and the basalt. Um, but it's all about balances. Oh no, the power just went out, dude. Okay. It's back on, it's back <laughs> on. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I don't think that interrupted anything that was really quick. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's heartbreaking, but we have to go through it. Right. We have to go through it. And sometimes I feel like you know, there are people aware of we're that we're going in the wrong direction, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to have to drop this one time, but this, I think we should also have another podcast 
on on our discussion right uh, on on this like the need for a new prophet and i know maybe a lot of people are turned off by that but someone needs to shake it up somebody needs to like shine a light on this current situation because we're mo moving it's not like we're we're not just oscillating in this area we're still moving in the wrong direction like you know we really are I, from my perspective and i can justify that in the podcast or discussion that we have about this um this concept right of the need for a prophet i mean i hope i'm not kind of switching gears too fast but i was hoping this podcast was really about a, a bunch of layers of topics for the future that was kind of my goal and speaking of a need for a prophet, you can see it already beginning. You have people like, like one of my favorite guys now, even though I told you before, he accidentally misquoted the Bible, but that's not his fault. He's extremely intelligent and he is working his ass off to, to understand it. So I have no disrespect, but one of my favorite guys who's fighting for humanity is Jordan Peterson. This dude is remarkable. This guy, he's a, you know, he's a, clinical psychologist and he is not just that that is just his lens and his lens allows him to look at human pain at a level that at a, through a microscope that none of us have and i love that guy i really do and because he's so good he's attacked of course of course he's attacked and then we got elon musk look at this guy he comes in and he's trying to fix media in the United States. I mean, you can see the beginnings of people saying, no, 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 we got a huge problem. And thank God you have trillionaires like Elon Musk and, and great visionaries like Jordan Peterson. Uh, Musk is a genius. I, I respect that guy tremendously too. But uh, I like listening to Jordan Peterson. He's very inspirational. But you can see the, the, uh, the sprouting or the... Yeah, the sprouting of this new movement that is struggling against the current uh, garden that we are all embedded in, right? We're embedded in this place and it's all, it's like man or farm, right? We are all being farmed. Our societies are a massive farm for these elite people. And you got these, these rogue farmers that have a really good idea and are actually more understanding about nature than the, 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 the actual landowners, right? So... I, I think that, yeah, we'll save that for another podcast, man. The need for a profit, the sprouting is here. You got Elon Musk doing amazing things at Twitter. He's making it democratic. And I don't mean like the party in America. I mean like true democracy. He's asking these people. Donald Trump was reinstated. He's doing voting on Twitter. And they he's like, should I reinstate or offer amnesty to all the people that have been canceled over these last couple of years? 72 out of 15 million people. 72% said yes, amnesty. But you know, like, so you see good things happening, you know, you really do. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope, Stephen. Like, uh, um, you asked me, is it all bad? Is it blah, blah, blah? Is it doomsday? N no. And I think we do live in a really good time in history. I really do. We're very, very lucky people, uh, really all of us. But we're still in need of great change. To fix, yeah, in, in need of like to fix the, the you know the glass, the shattered glass, and put it all back together. Yeah, I think that's a, a that's a great discourse there, and I feel like maybe the word prophet can be interchangeable for leadership, right? Is that that's what whether it's prophecy or whether it's strong leadership, and, and yeah, I love what you said about Jordan Peterson because I think he is 
massively great, attacked. Great, great and, man, great. Yeah, and you know he's a he's a psychologist. I think you know before I talk about how much I love him, I'll also you know say that he's a flawed human and he's biased and he's as you said he's a psychologist, but he's also a father and he's 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 a man and he's um he's white and whatever he's he's had his conditioning and his biases, and I think you have to understand that everybody has those biases and that's okay to be biased um because and i think he gets a lot of attack from that and i think that that's ridiculous uh however i think what jordan peterson does that's beautiful he has this real integrity about humanity about the the human condition about doing better about our integrity you know he's he talks a lot about the soul um he talks about you know what creates real uh purposefulness and, and and gratitude and happiness and he talks a lot about the things that hurt us and harm us um and basically uh, you know parts of society that are under attack you know those those things those strong leadership uh, that, that strong leadership is is something that generally we haven't had for a long time and it's i think it's very very positive if you can understand that it's just one man's point of view and if you are inspired by that and you can grow from that, then great. He's 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 done a great thing. And he doesn't have to make everybody believe, you know, this rhetoric again. It's not about making everybody believe what you believe. Um, it's about shining a light. And then hopefully we have enough common good that we come together into something positive, right? So, man, I think Jordan Peterson is doing great things. He's definitely um he's definitely polemic about, you know, some of the things that he says and does, but I don't know. A lot of the things that he says about uh, the atomic family, about people, about your sense of worth, um, even without, you know, I don't really want to get into this, but the LGBTQ community and about, um, you know, surgery for, for young women and, and um, dysmorphia, all that kind of stuff, which people lose their minds about. Uh, but if you actually hear him talk about some of these issues, he gives a pretty good overall response um, that it's pretty well grounded in my opinion anyway. And that's my opinion and my bias, but yeah, man, we're missing, we're missing great leadership. I think is the the issue is we're missing really good leadership and we're, we need people to really either. We need people to heal this world, man, heal the trauma, heal the pain, uh, kind of um, come together and stop a lot of this division. Um, realize that, you know, you watch that Dr. Phil podcast with Joe Rogan the other day. I watched it too. You know, he talks about this. Dr. Phil said is that if you if you start an argument with or you start a conversation with, what do we actually have in common first? What do we agree on first? And it's a, that was a great disposition. And then, okay, we agree on all of this stuff. That should give us perspective about where we're going to go from here. And then, okay, what is it we don't agree on? What is it we have a different opinion on? Just that's what we forget as humans, that we have so much to agree upon that we 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 get, we're so fixated on the things that we disagree upon, right? Because ultimately people, will be, as people, we all want the same things, same basic things. Um, it's basic philosophy, you know, John Locke, um, John Stuart Mill talk about this, you know, hundreds of years ago. So yeah, man, I, I really feel that's, but I feel like society is, is, and I'll, I'll ask you this question. Do you feel like society is changing? You know, do you feel like we, we're kind of having this kind of zeitgeist awakening consciousness shift, you know, does social media also 
these connections allow people to kind of be exposed to new ideas and the young generation to kind of wake up in ways that maybe they would not have been able to process without this new medium of of connection that we grew up without it right they they're growing up in a world of you know i want to learn about body dysmorphia i want to learn about um anxiety i want to learn about how to be a better person i want to learn about how to be motivated or um fix trauma and they can go and read about it find it listen to podcasts about it educate themselves you know to a level to gain a certain level of awareness it might have taken us a decade to accumulate that knowledge right yes <laughs> um yeah yeah i see i i know what you're saying um, but we're the last generation to do that. Um, it's, it's, you remember the cave, right? And they talk about the echoes bouncing off the walls, right? With the, with the shadows and the echoes, anything someone says behind them just reverberates. And that's what I see today as, um, maybe I want, I hope we get through it. I really do. Um, and like I said, Elon Musk is trying to fix this somehow, He's trying to he's trying to make some sort of an impact, but I don't know. Maybe the world is always better than we actually think it is. Uh, you know, because I think that we are definitely better off in so many ways. And um, but I feel like we're going we're regressing now. I really do. I feel like we're in a state of arrested development, and that our children are under assault right uh by these and it's not like like specifically intentional it's just the money's too good so you have these third party manipulators that are invisible in the background and you just have these ceos that take the money and with that comes these echo chambers and it's the blind leading the blind so the our kids are like getting stuck in social media apps right they're not doing research like you and i they don't dig deep they don't care about the depth. They want to be in the box. I mean, adolescents are in the worst situation they've ever been in, and I think in history right now. Uh, and I, 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 I'm probably wrong, but and I'm willing to admit that. But I, you just got to think about it, dude. You said when we were young, we didn't have that. But look at us. I don't consider us to be stuck in a loop. I don't, I don't really necessarily, you know, maybe in some regards, and we can talk about that in a different podcast possibly the next. Um, I'll drop that at the end of this one. Um, but I think there's more good than anything. But that one seed, right? That one noxious weed that blows into the, you know, or that one noxious bug or animal that, you know, is imported in from another place just takes over. Um, and I'm worried about that for my, for our youth. Absolutely. And I think parents, and this goes back to the atomic family, man. Uh, parents need to be involved all the time, but they can't. They can't. Everybody's got to work. So again, I'll reiterate. I think that the world, we are lucky. And I really believe the masses overall are lucky. We're in a better place than we were at the worst times, right? But I believe that that time is over unless there's a spark right? We need a spark. We need, we need a, a candle in the darkness, right? The beacon on the hill, we need light. And, uh, uh, but I'm going to stay positive, right? And, and 
you know, I think that like you said something earlier, I'm going to misquote you, but you said something about like, uh, believing it right like to believe it to conceive it like if you're believing it's bad it's going to be bad but if you believe if you have hope oh that's what it was if you have hope in humanity that's the question do you have hope and like even when i talk in my darkness about what i think is going on you are right mother Teresa said don't fight i think i've i hope i haven't said this in another podcast but anyways don't fight against what you don't want fight for what you do want. And that's it, right? It's like, don't focus on the negative, focus on what you, the most positive, you know, the world you want, not the world you want to destroy. And that's why she's like, you know, a badass historical figure. You know, she was very, uh, she had her head on straight. She knew what she was doing. And they're like, why aren't you standing up for this and that and this and that? And that was her response. I don't want to focus on the negative. I don't want to fight against, I want to build it up. You know, and I think that's really important. And oftentimes, like even Jordan Peterson or, you know, anybody um, really, uh, Rogan, all these people, Trump, whatever, it doesn't matter. All these people that are talking heads in our society, uh, oftentimes they start to be like lean towards the negative, but they they try to pick themselves back up and get back to there is hope. There is hope, Right. Uh, and that's what the key is, is hope and prayer and loving each other, no matter how dark it gets, you know, offer someone a blanket, offer someone, you know, a light in the darkness. Don't, 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 don't embrace the darkness and push the darkness and focus on the darkness. So yeah, man, good stuff. Um, I hope I responded to you well. I go on tangents, you know me. Yeah, no, it's all good. I I definitely feel that there is a there is a danger there with social media and something that was spoken about in, you know in a previous podcast, and and maybe it's a process of evolution where young kids kind of need to work out how to maneuver this social media and and mature through that process of experimentation that every individual has to you know go from that darkness into the light to, you know to go back to that allegory, um, and maybe that's just a process that needs to be done again and again and again. Or we need to educate young people uh, how to maneuver through this ton of information that makes people seek gratitude and, or not gratitude, satisfaction and dopamine and pleasure uh, and lack depth, as you mentioned. But I believe that if social media or is, if technology is used in the right way, it can really, um, it can really accelerate, accelerate your, your progress right? It can accelerate your progress. It can accelerate your growth. It can give you the tools to grow is the question is, are people mature enough or do they have the desire and, and the discipline to use technology in that way? And the majority of the, the time, the answer is no, they don't. However, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will come, right? So when they are ready to ask the right questions, they're, they'll find the teacher, whether it's through, you know, Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson online, or, you know, reading about academic papers about trauma or the broken home or whatever. There is a ton of data out there, a ton of information out there. So maybe it's just the process of evolution. Um, but I feel there is power in the connections, but who knows, I guess time will tell in, in how our society develops and, and what, and what we focus on. And that's a, I think that's a great um, anecdote. Do we focus on the negative and, 
and talk about how society's broken or if we do we have leaders and and the individual citizens keep focusing on the things that we can improve the things that we can change the things that we can develop being um being active active citizens and and active examples of you know positivity and leadership but again man i don't see any any education about that stuff you know like if you go to a good school and you go to a we my school is a character school they teach kids to be good people as well as academics and i think that's fantastic but i'll say generally there's you know you ask an 18 year old kid about mm, you ask it about an issue they have a basic idea but not a lot of depth um and then i don't think they're ever taught about how to really maneuver social media or, or the internet or technology in a way that benefits them they've just thrown into it and they're expected to be then they're expected to use it in a mature way it's like hang on a second well did anyone ever teach them you know how to be aware of the pitfalls of or the dangers of social media do we educate our children about that should we yeah Absolutely. And and this is going back to being a teacher and the complex, the, what's the word? It is the importance of teaching and the impact of the teacher. It's almost like we've become, or we have been given a role of like a step parent, right? And, and the parents aren't as active because they can't be. And so that now that that weight, that burden is put on like the shoulders of, of teachers, but teachers aren't really allowed to talk about those things all the time. Right. Um, so, but that's like where I'm at. I'm always like giving speeches and, uh, you know, philosophies to my students and talking to them the way I would talk to my own son. And I feel that their parents don't do that. Right. Um, but the good news is, is even if things are getting worse, right now, even if they are, I do believe in the cyclical nature of events, um, of things, right? Uh, if you look anywhere in the universe or down into the smallest life forms from the smallest to the largest, everything's cyclical. So as things may seem tough, you know, the spring is around the corner. When winter sets in, you have spring to look forward to and the returning of the light. And I, I believe that's inevitable. I believe it's inevitable and it will come no matter what. Um, it's just sometimes it's a long winter. <laughs> you just got to store, you got to store those goods, dude. Can that shit, can it, jar it, bottle it, uh, keep it safe and take care of each other. Yeah. And those, those foundational beliefs, again, going back to that, I think are, are, are just so important and prevalent in the sense of remembering that, you know, humanity is capable of doing great things and it's okay if we get lost, you know, it's, we're a pretty, I don't know, pretty new species on the, on the spectrum of things. Right. And we're capable of doing, I don't know, man, our brains are capable of doing great things that we're, if you look at a 50 year old man or woman that's invested in themselves, in themselves for their, a lifetime, the way that they think their way of breaking down problems and analyzing and understanding the world is phenomenal, right? Because they've got so much there to draw from. So I think we're at a point where we're really, we, we only, we only kind of limit ourselves because if you have access to education, then you, you can do quite a lot with your brain. 
and you can you can really become the superior version of yourself in, in lots of ways. And that's pretty powerful. And I can tell you from my experience, I know what it's like to be uneducated. I went through the majority of my 20s without having a university degree. And then I went, and then I, from when I was about 27, 28, I went to university and I, I had a um, tertiary education, high school, uh, a university education. And I know what it did to my brain and how it, what it did to my thinking and the skills that it gave me. So yeah, I, I have hope for society. We just gotta we just gotta make sure that people get educated, I think, and uh can think critically. Think critically, people get educated. Um we 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 critique things and we all like we all think about the greater good of society and the greater we think about the things that we can agree with. And I think then we'll have a trajectory to to move forward in a positive way. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And it's probably um, you know, utopian and idealistic. But um, I don't know. Have you thought about this concept of these foundational beliefs that I've mentioned recently and about how they shape your reality? Have you thought about this idea that, you know, once you have a foundational belief about society or about the world, about a subject, about a person, you know, just how drastically, uh, you know, everything else seems to, you know, shape itself around that foundational ideological belief? Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. That's why the Gospels are called the Gospels. That translates to the good news, right? Uh, and yes, you are what you think, what you hold in between your ears. And, and you know, like the for me, the Bible tells all everything that we know and all the new thoughts actually derive from the Bible. But that's my opinion, one person's. But you have all these new people talking about believe it to conceive it. The universe has got your back. There's enough material for everyone. You know what I'm talking about, right? All these like modern day, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Either like the separation, the separation, the separation of church and state, right? And so we have all these people like basically reciting, like paraphrasing the Bible, but leaving God out. But all that stuff is is within this one little library the biblioteca right the library the la biblia and um yes you what you believe is the truth and, and and you can't progress without believing in what you want the world to become right so um you know it's very fascinating the bible is an endless fountain of knowledge and ex human experience really it's a mirror for humans that's what it is. It's not about Jews. It's not about Gentiles. It's not about Israelites. It's not about Jesus. Well, it is, you know, in those four books, five or six, but it's really a mirror for humanity. That's all it is. And uh, there's great stories in them. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Do you so think that, I sorry, do you think that you have to establish those foundational beliefs? Like what happens to the, to your mind and the brain and your philosophies if you're kind of like not really sure about anything? If you say, okay, I'm not really sure about what I believe about work or society or the family. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if I should work or if I should just kind of be a bohemian or be a hedonist or nothing or an anarchist. Do you, do you think that you have to, do you think you have to, or it's beneficial to kind of buy into some ideological beliefs or can you always have beliefs that are, that are either flexible or, or kind of like very, very weak or, you know, flexible. Flexible, like you mean like sand and pebbles? Yeah. So that's my answer to you. 
sand and pebbles, buddy. What do you want to build on? Right. You know, to me, there's a reason why religion is so distasteful to the masses. There's a good, good reason. It's not an accident because those, those things, I don't care if it's Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, it doesn't even matter. They all say one story. And actually the story is juxtaposed upon each other. They say the same thing. This is human nature. So it's up to you. You can, you can if you want to teeter or build your house on sand and pebble, that's fine. But there are foundations set for us and they get misconstrued big time, right? They get misconstrued because of nomenclature and, uh, that's unfortunate, but no, if you want to be, if you want to teeter back and forth and, and not have direction, that's fine. I, I believe in freedom of choice, but uh, for me personally, it's the ark. It's the lifeboat in the flood. It is the, the, the mountaintop during the flood. It is the rock that you build your house upon. Um, and I'm not trying to tell anybody to believe anything they want, but I know for me personally, that's what keeps me going and hopeful is that these texts are here uh, and they're not as new as people think they are. They are ancient, just like today's new self-help books are based in ancient human experience and understanding, I believe, you know. So I don't know how to answer that, man. I'm just going to say I would love to see humanity build their next city society on marble and basalt, not on sand and pebble. Look at the reasons why religion has been kind of attacked in the last hundred years. And a lot of it is this conditioning of religion is bad because of whatever, whatever reason, right? Whether it's people are saying it's kind of brain conditioning or brainwashing or manipulation or, you know, it's corrupt and all institutions. Dude, right now, humans need a good brainwashing because our heads are filled with shit. Well, yeah, but what has it done? It's created, it's, it's, well, it's, it's kind of, it's created this, this um, division and everybody has like all these different ideas and different segments. Nothing is sacred. Okay. Whatever. You know, I'm not saying that I care too much one way or the other, but I'm saying that the power of religion is, is, is a beautiful thing where it does keep people aligned. And then we, it, it could kind of like, solve a lot of society's problems in a very short amount of time people are aligned with those found at least with those foundational beliefs of um respect and and caring etc cetera, etc cetera, then it would prevent a lot of issues you know that that free independence uh this individualized version of ourselves but yeah i don't know i don't know if religion is the answer but i think that it seems like some kind of universal common core values needs to be what well, could be beneficial for everyone to, 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 to maintain, to perpetuate society in a way forward. Um, but yeah, it and makes me depends wonder. On, that depends on your definition of what religion is. What is religion, right? Uh, that, that fully depends on your definition. Yeah. Right. For me, I, I, I just think that those foundational beliefs are a good thing when you have people put together and, and come together, you know, creating a, that disharmony or cr dis attacking religion seems to me as a, another way of, of kind of controlling society in another way by creating fragmented society, a fragmented society is what I'm saying. Uh, and that's what I see 
because there's no one, no one is agreeing on anything now. And then now what do you do is, is, you know, how, who do you, who do you try to shepherd in a way that's, you know, beneficial because people do need to be shepherd. People do need guidance. They do need leadership. They do need structure. They need rules. They need, um, they need ways to, and, and values and ethics to, to be taught how to be, to mature. It's the human experience that no one has that level of maturity from, from birth. Um, but I, going back to what I was saying about the ideological beliefs, I feel like I feel like you have to buy into something. I feel like you have to know that you know there are institutions, and whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a police officer or whatever, it's an institution, and we buy into those things for a while because of who they are or who we are and and what they are and who we want to be for a while, and then after that, it's kind of like you know it's 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 maybe this. Um, it's a pact. It's a trans. It's a transference of um, energy. It's 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 a deal. It's it's something that is who you are at this point because of what you believe in, and you can keep building on that. But I think that if you don't believe in anything, you just kind of like drifting. I feel mm-hmm. like drifting is generally a, a pernicious. It's a dangerous thing because you don't get to really um, have discipline and create things and build that on that structure. So that's what you're saying about having nothing building on pebbles and sand, right? Yeah, or drifting drifting on the currents, you know, of the ocean, right? Not, not having control of your destiny. If you're drifting, you're out at sea in a big void in the abyss, and it is empty, and it is dangerous and scary. Uh, that's the way I see it. So if you're drifting, you know, Jordan Peterson said that, and everybody says this, like Ma- Ma- Maslow? Yeah, Maslow? Abraham Maslow, yep. I forget. That's the hierarchy, right? Yeah, hierarchy of needs. I don't yep. know how I can forget his name, dude. I feel like those vaccines like <laughs> fucked up my brain. Uh, no, I'm just joking. But yeah, you know, like ultimately Maslow's talking about the same exact thing. And Jordan Peterson is also talking about the same exact thing. And self-help books are talking about the same exact thing. That it is in our dying days as the light dwindles that is what's most important is how we helped other people. And so drifting, I don't think is good at any point in your life. I think that you should have a North star that you focus on, you fix on and you aim for um, one that is about protecting each other. Cause look at your fingernails and look at your teeth and look at your skin. You're weak as fuck. We are weak as fuck without each other. The only reason why we have all this technology, pencils and paper and wrapped, pre-wrapped food and restaurants and cars and um, self-help books is because everybody worked together. We're sharing knowledge. You cannot be adrift. You must be, you must, I think humans need to recognize that we are one. We are one, one body of energy. And right now it's like, instead of a cohesive, beautiful, kindling warming a luminous fire it's like a sparkler right like a like a fourth of july new year sparkler the light is all stratified like you said it is all stratified and this is the also ancient knowledge divide and conquer right so you can you can overrun humans can do anything together but they have to be together right they have to to be together they have to we're like fucking megatron dude you know or what's the what's the what's the positive one is megatron the good one i forget yeah, megatron the, the transformer that yeah he's the, the good one 
Yeah, the, yeah, okay. he's the good one. The Megatron. That's what the fuck we are, dude. If we work together, hmm. you know? I'm going to... Do you mind if I read that poem that you sent me, which I actually shared with my students by Joy Harjo? Yeah, go for it, man. Because this is a beautiful story, and it's in... You don't even need a Bible. It's in our blood, in our DNA. And Joy Harjo is an American, uh, Native American, indigenous American uh, poet. And uh, she wrote a poem called Once the World Was Perfect. And here it is. Once the world was perfect and we were happy, humans in that world. Then we took it for granted. Discontent began a small rumble in the earthly mind. Then doubt pushed through with its spiked head. And once doubt ruptured the web, all manner of demon thoughts jumped through. We destroyed the world we had been given for inspiration, for life. Each stone of jealousy, each stone of fear, greed, envy, and hatred put out the light. No one was without a stone in his or her hand. There we were, right back where we had started. We were bumping into each other in the dark, and now we had no place to live since we didn't know how to live with one it, with each other. Then one of the stumbling ones took pity on another and shared a blanket. A spark of kindness made a light. The light made an opening in the darkness. Everyone worked together to make a ladder. A, will, a wind clan person climbed out first into the next world, and then the other clans, the children of those clans, their children and their children all the way through time to now. Into this morning light to you. I mean, that's a fucking fantastic poem, buddy. And she's talking exactly about what you and I are talking about. She's talking exactly about what I said. Um, not, I'm not trying to take credit. I read the Bible, so I don't need credit. The Bible's all... I get everything from that and all other places as well. But once the world was perfect, then we fucking destroyed it. We all had stones, weapons in our hands, fighting against each other over greed, jealousy, doubt, trying to carve a name for ourselves. But then one person, the model, I, would, I don't know if she's talking about a prophet, but it is definitely the supreme model of how to behave, offered a blanket. And that blanket was a spark of light, which core a hole in the darkness and then we worked together to build a ladder to the heavens to god that's now this is my interpretation i read the poem that's her poem i'm just interpreting interpreting it but it's cyclical in the beginning it was perfect then it was fucking shit and then someone lit the candle and here we are in the good morning light Thank you for sending that to, to me, Stephen. My students loved it. I love it. It's fantastic. Um, but it's that same exact story that you will find in the bones of men and women. There's a great documentary on uh, Netflix called The Ancient Apocalypse. And it's, it's fun. It's good. I, I, I recommend it. Uh, the Ancient Apocalypse. And he talks about human beings are a species with amnesia. Yeah, you'll have to watch. Did I think you watch I saw the it? shorts for that? I think I saw the the ads for that, the trailer. Yeah, 
Cause I, yeah, def- it's fantastic, dude. It's fantastic. And, and that's, that's why we forget. We forget and we start building up walls between each other, cubicles, so to speak. <laughs> so we can't yeah. see each other. You know? I'm and really then, glad that you, you like know- that poem. It's, it's, it's super powerful. And I feel like in, in that there is this process of awareness and consciousness and awakening Right. And again, we, we forget and then we go into conflict and we, uh, we forget. And then we, someone has it's to remind cyclical. us. Yeah. It's, it's cyclical and someone has to remind us whether, and it's the funny part is as well as a lot of it, it's from within, you know, doubt, um, anger, control, violence, a lot of that's from within, but also the kindness is from within too, you know, but the leadership brings that, that spark of light again. And then we start to awaken and come together and it's just it there is this kind of like a very i was very frustrated with humanity because i always felt like why do we keep repeating these same mistakes and why do we just not why can't we just move into that from the beginning but it's like maybe like one argument is we have um what's the word amnesia we, we forget or maybe it's a process of individual enlightenment for the you know the individual has to experience it but you know, society is like this right now, right? We were, we had more harmony and then we have discontent, resentment, more conflict. And then hopefully we can come back together because at the moment, the, the, the sticks and stones are um, a great metaphor for the uh, diversions, distractions, division, and destruction of our society at the moment. Yeah. And it all begins with what? Uh, you know, poetry is magnificent. So if, if you don't need, if you're adverse to reading the Bible, that's totally cool. I get it. I don't, nobody cares. That's fine. But you should read poetry and you should read how like these deep human emotions, because she starts with each stone of jealousy. So that is a desire for what you don't have. Right. It is a desire of lack of control. And then she goes into the list which starts of fear and fear is the one thing we should fear the most in the world, right? Because it is the number one, like a mental state that leads to greed, envy, hatred. It's all about fear, right? That's the one thing. This is why uh, hope is the most important. I think it's the most powerful hope and love. Obviously Uh, hope is the idea. Love is the manifestation. And I believe that we, like you said, humans, I do believe humans can do anything together with love and hope. We're unstoppable, dude. We can go to different solar systems. I believe it. We can we can cure the sick. I believe it. But unfortunately, we're all saturated in fear and jealousy and anger. I love this poem, bro. Seriously, like I, the first time I read it, I was like, ah, another an indigenous American, <laughs> because because those all those talking points from like the media, the ones I don't like, I still watch. You know, that's it. Sometimes like it's becoming, but then I read it like a second time. I go, oh fuck, and then I read it like a third and a fourth and a fifth time. I was like, oh yeah, and we were doing imagery. We were doing imagery in my class, uh, and the students. They dug it, dude. We read Do Not Go Gentle. We read this one. And then we read Harlem uh, oh, yeah, by Langston Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. There's also so, a poem by Emily Dickinson called um, Hope is a Thing with Feathers. And that's oh, a- yeah. 
dude my no oh sorry go ahead sorry yeah i was gonna say did you do that one as well i didn't but i uh, the project was my students had to research they had to pick a poem and uh research the you know there was a rubric so they had to do the author information on the author they had to read the poem they had to point out they had to decide the theme and then they had to pick out at least well to get the four out of four uh, the three imageries that supported the theme and yet two different people two different classes one student picked that and i was like yes steven would love this actually mm -hmm. and i forgot to send you a message because we've talked about that before in fact i think you sent me that before and i love emily dickinson i forgot and they taught me this my students they reminded me that she only published 10 poems mm. in her life and then her my students didn't talk about the family digging it up and saying oh this is a gold mine her voice should be heard but they said that only 10 out of 1800 had been published and i love that poem man yeah yeah poetry bro poetry that's, that's super powerful man it's super powerful we do a poetry project as well about um it's actually called the power of poetry where the kids have to eventually yeah, the objective is the kids have to write their own poem or dedicate to someone that they care about to impact them in a, in a positive way. Um, and they have to interview that person to kind of really get the, the psychology of how they should impact them. Right. So they should find the things that would impact them in a meaningful way. That's why they have to do the interview. Uh, but that's, yeah, we, when we work through the skills of poetry, it's a wonderful, that's a wonderful um, activity, man. I, I'm going to write that down, dude. Stealing it. Stealing yeah, man, it. Steal it. Steal it. It's a good one. The power, pro uh, poetry, the power of poetry project. But there's so much what we, you know, our first, my first lesson is like, why, who cares about poetry? Why do people write poetry? And I always ask them is, is it, is poetry for the author or is it for the, the, the audience for the, you know, is it for the, the reader or the listener? And you know, why do we bother to write poetry? And then we connect poetry with, with music and talk about how it's about a message and a theme. And by now they should have a pretty good idea of what themes are and how they explore the human condition. And then it's like, all right, what are they talking about? And then we connect it that way. And then the kids, then they start to practice with different poems and they, you know, they practice the techniques and, and literary devices and, and see how they exist and, and um, explore different poems, which is really cool. But it's the thing that like, people don't realize is that you know, unless you study literature or you've been taught or done literature classes is that poetry is, is a beautiful way of exploring so many different parts of the human condition and this, this beautiful way of expressing it for sometimes it's just for the author, like Emily Dickinson. I think she probably wrote those poems for herself. She didn't, she never wrote them to be published. Mm -hmm. She wrote them for herself, her own musings, her own reflections and um, to, to reflect some of her own critiques and and criticisms of society and of, of love of the world and they, they were never really meant to be published um you know so yeah it was like her diary right like a a form of diary so to speak i i think when i studied dickinson at university um long time ago i think that the teacher tried to say that there were still pockets of communities that didn't feel women should be able to write poetry. It was a manly thing. I could be wrong. I hope I'm not misquoting this teacher, but I have a strong feeling of that. But if that's the truth, why did she publish 10, right? Uh, maybe she was just beginning towards the end of her life to, 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 to open up. But I don't know if that's true, but I like the idea that she did it as a, um, 
a process of like meditation and practice, a systematic practice of writing a diary, a diary, but in a beautiful way. Right. Yeah. I think that's like great. music. It's like music. Poetry is like, it's, it's, it's fucking music, dude. It's, it's, it's a language and it's beautiful. And there's so many ways you can play with it. And I think it would be fun to write my own diary in that way. Yeah. I think a diary is a great way to look at it. And I think what's missing out of that, out of our discussion is that I think she did it in a, and which um, supports your teacher's uh, perspective as a form of rebellion, because it was a way of her having a voice and critiquing society in a way that she could be, she could be in her safe space, so to speak, or she could be in a, in a, in a, in an environment where she could basically say and be who she wanted to and, and critiques society from that, from that um, protection of her own her own space, her own sanctuary and, and be brave enough to write whatever, you know, whatever feelings that she wanted to write. So I think there was an element of, of rebellion and, and when she would critique um, society, critique politics, critique fame, critique love, whatever, critique uh, gender roles in society. So I think there was what I feel is an, an element of, of pure um, rebellion and critiquing, you know, it's, there's resentment there as well. Like I think she had a lot of resentment. Um, and what I read too about her, she basically kind of went crazy. She just locked herself up in a room. She just used to wear all white. She just, you know, rejected society and and and, and the world. And she kind of just went into a like spiraled in, in in negativity until she died. That's what that's what I heard about her. But who knows, man? Who knows? But she was she was definitely magnificent in the way she yeah. crafted words and some of the sasura, like the the dashes and the dots. Um, that make her very distinct. Like she uses an enjambment, she uses a sura, she uses a sibilance. She uses these really kind of obscure literary devices that not a lot of other poets have been able to um, create or utilize effectively. And she, she's a master of that. And so I think that that gives her poetry a, a sort of different feel and depth that a lot of other poetry ha doesn't have or we haven't seen used in that way. So I think that what makes her again, man. You 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 create your own style. You create who you are. You create your own voice, and you become distinct, and people appreciate you for your uniqueness, right? So yeah. that's really cool. I I always teach um, those literary devices with her, um, for her work. Yeah, man. When we when we get our shit situated in life with our twelve hour difference in our toddlers and our jobs. I think we should do a poem at least once per month. Or I think we should like, if we have a discussion, we should both go, like we, we could lay it out and uh, we can um, find a poem that goes with it. Because I really love talking about poetry and you'd be shocked by my children, my students, sorry, my students. They, they loved this. They've never had exposure to it. Like in English, the profound, the profundity, the, Depth and exploration. The, the looking at imagery like through the senses and we didn't even get into some of this how great it can get we were just talking about themes and imagery and how they work together and that was it well and it's awesome that you're it, bro. yeah it's awesome that you're showing them that especially for the probably for the first time in depth and then you're yeah. teaching them these skills and these lenses and that's what i love about teaching grade nine is that you know you're showing that you know that depth and um you know that insight you know so they they've they're developing those lenses with you and you know when it go, when you do the you know the I do we do you do 
you know, when you're doing the, we do is fun. And then the, I do is like, they're pulling that stuff out themselves and they're never going to look at poetry the same way again. Cause you've taught them those skills. And man, that's, that's fantastic. You should be really proud of that. Dude, I actually am. And I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to expand. <laughs> I don't know if I'm proud of it. I'm more uh, inspired and excited about my, the next time I do a unit and what I'll do is I, um, I'll have them write their own poem at the unit and I want to lengthen the unit. You know, we only spent one week. No, we spent a week and a half because we had to go through the three poems. That was one poem a day. Um, I don't want to bore you guys with the details. Um, but then they had to do their presentation, right. With PowerPoint and all that on the rubric. And they did a fantastic job and you'd be surprised, Steven, some of the lowest performing students got fucking twenties because it wasn't about grammar. It was about following a rubric and knowing how to get those points. You got to do this, this, and this, and they did it. And then some of the higher performing students didn't do so well. And I was like, well, we can see who can follow. But anyways, man, I'm going to slow this down. I think I'm going to wind it down actually, because I kind of got to go. Um, it's late. It's like 10, 10. And I know you always stay up late for me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, bro. Good talking to you, man. Thanks again. Take care. And um, yeah, I look forward to it, bro. Take care.